It's poetry time with Cam. We're going to have a little jingle for every single one of these, aren't we? (laughs) We got to let our audience know what we're... (laughs) I have a poem from powerpoetry.org by Jasper Louder. All right. And the poem is called Dead Name. When my name died, I did not mourn it. I did not bury my name in the backyard with Fluffy and Fido, covering my name with flowers. Instead, I just stood there, watching it perish as the truth of my words cut through it. Bleeding out memories and syllables, birthdays and yearbooks and playbills, I did not tell my name it wasn't wanted, as I held my words like a knife to its throat. Instead, I said I had outgrew it, that it was uncomfortable and it didn't fit, like the hats Grandma used to make us for Christmas. It had itched for years, bringing me to tears, but I thought I had to smile through it because it was family-made. I did not cremate my name and throw its ashes into the sea, releasing them to the world. Instead, I tried to salvage it in a mania, hoping that I could give it to someone else, like an organ donation. But every time I touched my name, it stung. I did not write the paper or send in an obituary. No wills were read, for I didn't want to think about what my name had left me. I did not sit Shiva for my name and let the grief eat at me for seven days. No priests or rabbis or imams were called to help guide it to whatever comes next. Instead, I left my name where it was, and I went to clean its fingerprints from my bedroom. Wow. (laughs) Profound. I thought so, too. Yeah, holy shit. (laughs) I don't even know. I am not good at poetry. I don't know how to dissect it, but just holy shit, that was powerful. Yeah, if it evokes a feeling. It's just so interesting because the dead name piece is something you and I have talked about regularly on the show, and just like my mourning process and getting some of that wrong and then all the years of you being dead named until more recently where it does not happen very much for you which i'm really glad about but it is a process and obviously you are the one who deals with the most of that grief but on the flip side i I think i like this poem because what i heard is a lot of it's not a mourning process (laughs) for somebody who is finding the right name for themselves Leaving that other name behind is not something that needs to be grieved or ritually buried. And I'm sure some people find power in that, like writing their name and crumpling it up and throwing it into a bonfire or something. But I think for most trans people, we know it's just a part of the process and and you're ready to move on to being the person that you really are. Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I never mourned my name. I never... It was never something that I struggled with. And I know that is in stark contrast to you, who really struggled with losing my name and everything. At least a name that you had known me by for so long. And now it doesn't come to my mind anymore. It's so far gone. I went through that process and moved on. But I am glad that you were able to find a name that worked well for you. And I'm ever evolving in that. As we've discussed previously... You can have multiple dead names. You can have dead names as a cis person. You can have whatever names you want. And as a system, when I got that diagnosis, and as I am starting to learn more about myself, as we are starting to learn more about ourselves, eventually Anna will probably be a name that most people do not use for us because it is not indicative of everyone. Makes complete sense. Do we have any more poetry? No, no, just the one. Hi, we're Anna and Lily, parts of Transgender System. And I'm Cam, their dad. 
And this is The Transgender, a podcast chronicling our transition and a cisgender man learning how to support it. My apologies to all of our listeners if we are sounding a little bit different. We are very congested today. (laughs) (laughs) In Duluth, it has been melting and then refreezing and then melting again, and it has been horrendous on my allergies. The horror that is climate change and our city (laughs) that normally is in the below zero time and has a frozen lake, we're experiencing 40 degree days right now, and it is really disconcerting and not very disconcerting. No. But one thing I wanted to talk about today is the wording that we use in this podcast and wording that I think that should be adopted by not just the broader trans community who has been having this discussion for a while, but especially the medical community. And Camp, we've talked a lot about it, as I always do. I want to get some perspective on this from you as a cis person. What do you think of when you hear dysphoria and what do you think of when you hear euphoria? Yeah, it's so hard because I associate dysphoria, and I think a lot of people do, as a medical term that is a diagnosable part of human experience. And you can have dysphoria about lots of different things, not just your gender, but you can have body dysphoria and you can have all kinds of things that you can feel dysphoric about. Interestingly, I feel like euphoria is not a medical term. Like we've gravitated to that so much as just the light that we want to bring to people's lives that we need to be celebrating the things that are great. But I know better than those distinctions in this. So I'm really curious to see (laughs) where those definitions actually are and how we use them. Yeah. So dysphoria has classically been used for the trans community, especially by the medical community, but I think overall within the trans community to describe what it is, like what the trans experience is. Oh, you're trans if you experience dysphoria. And dysphoria is this sort of amorphous, hard to pin down feeling of I feel gross in what I am. I feel gross in this experience that I have. Heard a little bit about that in the poem that you read about it felt like a hat that didn't fit and itched. It's a piece that we don't want to think about that makes us feel very bad. And I don't ever want to discount that from the trans experience because that is something that trans people experience in a unique way. Something that I think we should focus on more and help people to understand is that euphoria or that feeling that things are good, that this is who I am, this is the feeling that I want to feel every day, is also valid. And in the medical community, it is not. You do not get a diagnosis of being transgender. You are not geared towards hormones. You're not anything like that for having euphoric experiences. Because that's something that cis people can experience. Cis people can have euphoria, and that's fine. And especially when we're talking about euphoria in the sense of the medical community, oftentimes we're talking about other sorts of mental health conditions and things that people have. In schizophrenia, you can have periods of very high euphoria, and that is a detachment from reality. And so I think when some medical professionals hear these terms, they're like, oh, dysphoria is trans and euphoria is a detachment from reality. And that's just not how it is at all. Like when we're talking about euphoria and dysphoria, we're talking about very specific and kind of two sides of the same coin experiences that trans people can have. One side being the, oh, I hate everything about myself. I don't like my gender. I don't like whatever. However, on the other side of that coin is the I get to experience gender euphoria from having breasts now, or I'm on hormones and that gives me gender euphoria or something. There's a lot of pieces to that. And so why are we talking about this today in our opening topic? And the reason is because when we are talking about what makes someone trans, it's often, oh, you experience dysphoria. Right. And I don't think that we should be looking at the trans identity from that angle anymore, because 
then we are purely focusing on the negatives of what the trans experience is. When there is so much joy and so much love and acceptance and personal development and growth that can be in the trans experience that dysphoria doesn't capture. Dysphoria is, oh, I'm feeling terrible. And you're in the medical model of mental health treatment. You're like, now we have symptoms that we can solve. And that's just not how... We we have to label you in some way. And so many things that we talk about, it, there's a continuum, right? This is not you are dysphoric or you are not. Like how you have dysphoria or euphoria lives in a very wide spectrum. And there's a day where you're going to feel absolutely shitty about everything about yourself when gender is a part of that. And then there's going to be days where it's just, I put on some clothes today that don't make me feel good about my gender and my identity in the world. And, mm-hmm. and, and It's all part of this larger continuum of how we're feeling day to day. And so medical science, as we've pointed out multiple times, really wants to put things in small boxes and like it's either or. It actually is fuel, I find, for transphobes who are saying, we're going to pinpoint this. This is gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is a mental illness. Transgender people are mentally ill and that's it. And that is largely the sort of torches and pitchforks that are being brought to our table right now is misunderstanding about the fact that there's a lot of continuums in these things and there's more complexity than just it is or it isn't. Exactly. So something that I have been a huge advocate for, and I think that is starting to pick up in the trans community, is let's move away from defining trans people by dysphoria. Because currently, to put it very bluntly, the definition of dysphoria is, oh, the thing that trans people have. That's literally the definition of dysphoria. Not literally, sorry, figuratively. Why we should move to a euphoria-based model is because people, especially trans people who experience euphoria, it takes away from this medicalized model of, like, you've got something that we can put you into a box for, and it moves more into this growing trend of self-identification and self-diagnosis of, I know who I am, I know who, I know what my identity is, I know who I am. And so it takes the power away from systems that have historically been used to oppress and harm and damage and puts it back into the hands of the community itself. And so when we look at identity from a euphoria-based model, we are talking about the things that make trans people happy, the things that make people happy. And I think that is so much needed in the queer community, especially now. I'm really glad you brought up that self-diagnosis piece because I think you and I are big advocates now for this model. It's becoming more acceptable, but it's still very new. But at the end of the day, we know ourselves better <laughs> than any... Yep. We just cannot describe the experience that lives in our brains um, and bodies to a healthcare provider the way that we experience it. And so the recognition that we need to receive from healthcare providers and therapists and parents and caregivers and teachers and everybody else in the world is that what we're describing as our experience is our experience. And whether that translates into something that's diagnosable, something that can be medically treated, something that talk therapy can deal with, that's almost a different issue than this is who I am, this is my identity, I've self-diagnosed because here are the individual things. And often the best language that we have is, therefore I am trans, therefore I have ADHD, therefore, because that's the closest language we have. But again, within all those things are a lot more complex than just, okay, you have ADHD, so here's the list of things that you have to behave doing in order to have ADHD. It's, nope, way more complex than that. And I want to be very clear and caution very strongly that this is an emerging thing that is not going to be suited well for every person. 
Yes. Especially people who are hypochondriacs, and I mean that in the in a positive way. If you think that you are sick all the time and you feel sick all the time, like that, this may not be the best thing for you. And so when we're talking about this very specifically, I'm not talking about, oh, doesn't everybody have little ADHD in them? I'm talking yeah. about you're looking very specifically at the symptoms you have, about the things that you have, and are saying, oh, this diagnosis fits me, and these are the tools that then this diagnosis can give me as a way to benefit my life and continue to advance this. We I'm still not have to ground these for... things in medical science. If that's the yeah. important thing to us is that this is not arbitrary. And I yes. totally agree. I, the thing that we've always hated, right, is like somebody saying, oh my gosh, I'm so ADHD or so OCD. That's the one that I hear more often than yep. not. And it's yep. because what? You like to clean your counters. It's not like you have to do the same behavior three times every single time compulsively. That is what OCD is. So, And that's a very that's a very high level case of OCD. Yes. I have a low level OCD and right. I do not follow very specific daily rituals. But that is a thing that if you are noticing that you have very specific daily rituals, what I'm talking about here is finding a diagnosis that works for you so that you can start looking at resources geared yes. towards that diagnosis to start implementing into your daily life. Yes. This is what we're talking about here. We're not saying, oh, say you have ADHD, go to a doctor and, be, and get prescribed methylphenidate. That involves going through systems. What I'm saying is, okay, you think you have ADHD, you fit some of the ADHD symptoms, start implementing things that help people with ADHD. And then if you see improvement, that is excellent. That's And now it feels like you're talking these. directly to me as somebody that has recently started to <laughs> identify with <laughs> some self-ADHD diagnosis. <laughs> I'm not talking directly to you. No, I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> yeah. And as someone who for a long time was so afraid to self-diagnose and now has recognized that self-diagnosis is a tool to use to understand that it's okay to utilize tools from things that you don't have a specific diagnosis yes. for. 100%. Those tools are so important and they're publicly available and it's well worth trying lots of different things. If you say, here's some symptoms that I have, and that correlates to this kind of diagnosis in the world, and here are the tools that are suggested, it is well worth just going down that list and saying, I'm going to try some of these out and see what works. You can do that for free <laughs> without needing yes. to go see a medical professional. Obviously, at the end of the day, we always recommend talk to a therapist, talk to your doctor, get support that you need. But it's really helpful for you to live your day-to-day -day life saying, there's something that I'm doing in my behavior that is not working well for me? And what kind of tools could I use in order to make this more palatable for my day to day life? And this kind of brings in and I don't want to spend a whole lot more time talking about this, because we've taken a, a sidetrack away from I like it, the dysphoria versus euphoria. But this also ties back into disability advocacy and resources of if you think that something is going to help you in your daily life, but you don't necessarily have a diagnosed disability or something like that. It's okay to say, this will help me in my daily life. It's okay yeah. to use a cane. It's okay to use a wheelchair. It's okay to use these and in a way that is going to benefit your life. I'm not saying go out there and buy a prosthetic leg if you don't need a prosthetic leg. That's right. very hard to do, but I've, I've seen people who have that mindset. What I'm saying is if you are struggling to do daily tasks and you think that something will help you do that, there are ways to implement things to help you do that. So I think it's important that when we're talking about this medicalization and this diagnostic conversation, it's also important to recognize that there are positive things to all of this. And it's not always about the negative symptoms. Yeah, we want to live in the positive space that we determined that when we started this journey together. <laughs> 
Focus on yes. the positives. We got some really good questions this last couple weeks here, and I thought maybe we could throw a couple out and talk about them. The first I'd one I've to. got... I- Go ahead. Yeah. Send your, sorry. Send your questions in. Questions at transgenderpod.com or click the chat with us button. Super important. We love to hear what you guys have to say. We love your feedback. And we also love questions because there's a lot of experience and knowledge that is not publicly out there that people have questions about. And we love to share what we have learned. Regulus asks, I am a 14-year-old transmasculine, and I was wondering if you have any advice on how to come out to your extended family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. And I know we received another note that Regulus's parents are actually quite supportive of trans and non-binary people, so they were feeling pretty comfortable there. The other thing that they had mentioned was, my friends all use my name and pronouns at school, but last week at my birthday party, my parents were around, so I had asked my friends to use my dead name and pronouns. Oh, that's right. They have not come out to their parents yet but they feel like maybe they're going to be supportive. Here we are, a 14-year-old person who has another a name and pronouns that are not publicly outed yet. How do they start to feel comfortable coming out to people? Yeah, this is a very challenging question because it's very personal. But I will talk a little bit about my own personal coming out, which was I did over text. I never felt safe enough to really come out to people in person if I could help it. And so I oftentimes came out over text and over messaging. And some of that was also out of necessity for our extended family who lives in California and lives in New Orleans. And so for me, it was text is the best way for me to come out, not just for my own safety, but also for convenience and ease of everything. As for like, how to come out to your parents, and even if they are accepting and everything, that's very hard. And for me, it was a lot of building a support network around me that I felt secure in, that I felt like I didn't have to worry about. And then also having a go bag, packed, ready to go with a couple of days of clothes and things that I might need because honestly you never know what's going to happen and I'm not saying that needs to be everybody's plan I'm just saying where I was at that time that is where I was at and it's all up to what you are feeling that was the way that you felt most comfortable. And and you went into that knowing I knew nothing. And so you had no idea my, what my reaction was going to be. I never would have been able to guess what my reaction was going to be. But I think <laughs> another point to this, too, is if you can get your parents on your side, that actually will help you a lot in those other conversations. I remember being the backup to... Anna would send a text to my dad and then I can follow up with the like, all right, ask me any questions. Don't focus your energy on Anna and pestering her. (laughs) She's now built me up so that I have some tools to be able to talk about these things so I can be her advocate to our extended family. And I remember, oh my gosh, I remember specifically Pappy. I don't know. He must have heard secondhand from my dad or somebody in our family (laughs) and wrote an email out to a bunch of us and was like, I heard that we have a transgender in our family now. And (laughs) what are we doing to support her and what what can can i send her money and i'm just like what a weird reaction but okay yeah of course you can send her money that's great (laughs) yeah i love that hey i'm coming out of my true self okay can i throw some money at you i support you i want you to know that Also, Everybody let's just say, always tip in their own way. Always tip your trans people. Just saying, <laughs> we're always looking for more money. Yes. It's real hard out there. <laughs> oh yes, or join our Patreon. Oops, no, or join our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, truly though, I think Regulus had had said that they felt pretty comfortable that their, that their parents will come on board. 
with them. And if you can do that, I think it's going to make your journey a lot easier when it comes to dealing with friends, parents. That's the other piece that can be challenging when you're 14, too, is that you're talking about this birthday party. You definitely can't control anybody in your family, but you surely can't control all (laughs) the external people that are in your bubble and how your friends, parents are going to react. And so having a parent or a caregiver or somebody who's in that role that you can lean on is going to be extremely helpful. Well, I think that's a really good point, too, is utilize the people around you who support you and love you to fight those battles with you. If you have a grandparent or a cousin or somebody who's, oh, I fucking hate this, like, you are not a part of my family anymore, I'm going to be a complete asshole and bigot, which... I will say, is cartoonish. I have never met anybody who is outwardly that transphobic and horrible. It does happen, but I think that it is very rare. Most of the time, it's going to be, I am going to intentionally dead name, or I'm going to pretend like I don't really understand what's going on, even though I'm just actually a bigot. And having people in your corner who can be like, hey, this is not okay, and you need to do better, can really be helpful. And Cam has done an excellent job of that, especially in recent years when people are like, I don't understand what the fuck is going on with your child <laughs> great step over here because we will have that conversation or just we need to surround ourselves with people that understand our identity to stick up for us i'm learning that's not just a trans experience thing that's my own experience as an adult human being of yeah. you need to have allies as neurodivergent people, as people who are not fitting the norm, but especially when it comes to trans and non-binary people, and especially when it comes to names and pronouns, it's so great to have another person in the room to just correct people. Yeah. I remember going to our my cousin's wedding with you and just <laughs> subtly, it's Anna. Hey, she, her. <laughs> hey. I know this is the first time you're seeing her in person and it ended up being fine through the night. Yeah. But it it certainly, it took a little, we had to tag team (laughs) in order to get there. I think too, that this is another important thing that, I do as as an ally to my other trans and non-binary folks, and I think that it's really important that we let people know is ask your trans person who might be in a compromised situation what they want. Because yes. sometimes what they might want is not for you to correct people or to continually pester. And as a person, I am more than willing to go to blows with people about gender and identities because that is so important to me. But that other person who's in the room might not want that. They might be just like, hey, just take a step back. It's not going to happen today. You're not going to be the one to change their mind. Just stop. I don't want to have a fight today. And that is so valid. (laughs) Super valid. (laughs) To trans people, that's so valid. But allies, just make sure that you're communicating with the trans person too about what is it that you want me to do here? Because ultimately, it's you who is, you know, going to be dealing with all of this repercussion. I hope that was helpful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Regulus. Thank you so much, Regulus. Let's move on to a question from April. I brought up to my parents that I wanted to try out names and pronouns, and my dad said I will always be his son. Here's the question. How do I help my dad to understand that I don't want to be that person anymore, and I want to be my true self? I have a pretty good idea of how I want to answer this question, but Cam, I want you as a dad here, (sighs) as a dad to a transgender person, how did I get you to understand that I wasn't your son anymore, that I wasn't my dead name anymore because i honestly don't remember (laughs) it's funny to think about let's go back to you feeling intimidated about that process packing the go bag like feeling like maybe my dad's gonna kick me out the one thing that we always say we've had going for us is we grew up together we have built so much in common so the foundation on which we were building even though you were feeling not super trusting in that moment i would say that 
we at least had a foundation of trust to be able to build off of for each other, which was mutually beneficial. Like the same thing when you came to me, I <laughs> at least was able to say, I trust this person and her view on the world. And I might not know what the fuck she's talking about, <laughs> but I at least, okay. <laughs> This is where you're at. Bring me along on this journey. So that's the hard part is that I I almost want to say, hey, parents, start building a foundation of trust with your kids from the very beginning, because all these conversations, when they say I'm being bullied at school or I'm being pressured by my partner to have sex or I my gender identity maybe doesn't match the one that I was given at birth. Those are really tough conversations that it takes a really firm, loving relationship with your parent in order to make happen. So get it right from the beginning is what I have to say to parents. (laughs) But that doesn't help April in this scenario because it sounds like maybe that isn't necessarily there for you both. Yeah, no. And I, as we say continuously, and I think that it comes through clearly throughout the podcast is Cam and I have a very unique dynamic and relationship with each other. It is not a traditional daughter-father situation. We are each other's very good friends and everything. And it's never really been that sort of relationship that you are an authority figure. We've always had a mutual trust and understanding with each other. From the time Otto was a teenager, we just determined (laughs) that we were roommates. And that was how we lived our lives. And it it worked out for us. Thank goodness. It worked out. Yeah. (laughs) Do not. Yeah. This is done by trained professionals. No, I love that. Build a trusting relationship with your kids is really important. And and to those kids, to those trans people who are coming out to your parents and your parent says, I do not trust you in this. You are still my son. That's really hard. And I wish I had a better answer for you. But my answer is you are valid in your identity. And I'm so sorry that you do not have support from people who are there to support you and need to be able to be that person for you. But you are valid and you are loved. And there are other people and other ways for you to feel supported in this world. And I'm not saying to completely discount your dad in this and be like, fuck you, I'm leaving. That's not the situation I'm advocating for. But what I would say is it's going to take time. Clearly, no matter what, it's going to take time to build this relationship and to really say, hey, I am not your son, actually. I am April. I use these pronouns. I don't identify as your son. Even though you and I have such a good relationship, Cam, me saying I'm not your son. (laughs) Yeah was a really big deal because it's oh you're right no this dynamic that you and i have had is not the same because even though you're the same person and everything the social dynamics between a father and daughter versus a father and son are very different there was some shift to happen there yeah and that's this is where i don't know a parent that hasn't had that phenomenon this is where i find it so funny that the transphobes say like parents are transing their kids and i'm like i We've had multiple parents on this podcast tell this exact same story of, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have the language yeah. for it. This was brand new. What the hell are you saying? I trans my kids. Like, I, when we started this journey, <laughs> I didn't know what trans meant. And <laughs> over the long term, the thing that you're going to have to do for anyone in your life that is an understanding of your identity is continue to educate them in the best ways you know how. We started this podcast for the specific reason of have being a resource. So if your dad is willing to listen to some of the episodes, especially where we're talking about these specific issues around parents and kids and like how to be supportive, sending an article here and there, 
just about what trans experience looks like or how to support people's pronouns and, and their names. All those things are really just kind of part of the process that you might have to go through in order to educate them long term. And at the end of the day, we can't guarantee that anybody is going to come around. My hope is that they can be as loving and supportive as they can within whatever weird parameters of gender identity that they are seem stuck within. But our hope for you is that eventually they'll come around and, and recognize you for the person that you are. And April, and I'm speaking directly to April, but I think that this is important for everybody who does not have a supportive parent to hear. You are not alone in this experience. I recognize how privileged and lucky I am to have a parent who understands and took the time to be able to learn and come along with this journey for me. Unfortunately, the reality is that is not a thing that can happen for a lot of other trans people. And if you are like, oh, I'm the only trans person ever to experience having a parent who doesn't like me, or a parent who says that I'm still their son even though I'm not, you're not alone in this. And there are other people who have this experience, and there are people... I don't want to talk about something that I have not had personal experience in very deeply, because I don't know what exactly the situation is. I don't know. I can't relate my own personal experience. But there are people who have this experience who have talked openly about this and said, this is what worked for me. And this is maybe a point where I say, I know a lot, and I don't know about this specific situation, April, and I'm very sorry to say that. But there are resources out there that can give you a more specific answer about this is something that worked for me. This is something that helped me. And just know that no matter what, on the Transgender Podcast, you are loved, you are respected, and your pronouns and name will always be who you are here. So I hope that we can build that safe space for you, that you feel comfortable enough. And also to say, to have a space that is open and honest enough to say, we don't have all the answers. And sometimes that just is the reality. Truly. And thank you, April, for sending in this question, because I think there are a lot of people who need to hear this. Do you have a gender euphoria to share with us? I do. This one comes from Christine. Thank you so much, Christine. I just started my own transition and found your podcast. Today, I had a day off to myself and took the opportunity to be femme out in the city. I'm very male presenting, so I did my best to, quote, clean up, which I'm not entirely sure what that means, but April, <laughs> or, sorry, yeah. not April, Christine goes a little bit deeper into it and says, shaving, 30 minutes, putting my up my hair, and then finishing with a classic lazy look of leggings and baggy sweatshirt, which, let me say, is not a lazy look. That is just no, how you survive as a woman in this world. <laughs> <laughs> also, so, Not I'm sorry, Chris, Christine Femme in the City sounds like such a great movie title. I I love it. I'm here for it. Christine Femme in the City. It's like Sex in the City, but actually trans yeah. and good. Oh, that sounds awesome. I'd watch the hell out of that. <laughs> Not necessarily passable. And I, passable is in quotes, which Christine, let me say, passing is not always the goal. Sometimes it's just feeling good about yourself. But the best I could do. I went to the thrift store to start getting more female marketed clothes, and oh my god, did I have a blast. The whole experience was so much better expressing myself that way, as opposed to going how I normally dress. I did the whole thing, take my time, actually look, tried everything on. Usually I feel meh, but everything fit and felt amazing. I even got a very friendly smile from the youngish woman in a good-for-you way that felt amazing. Yay! Christine, let me say, I'm so happy for you. As a passing trans woman, I still struggle to go clothes shopping sometimes. It is a really intimidating process, and I'm so glad that it was enjoyable and beneficial for you. Yeah. If you have questions about transitioning or supporting someone who's transitioning, and you'd like us to talk about it on the show, please shoot an email to questions at transgendapod.com, click the chat with us button on our website, or DM us on social media. And if you'd like to support the show, and we really appreciate your support, you can become a patron on our Patreon. 
Kirsten, supporter level patron. Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. And be sure to check out our episode description for links to resources on today's topics, especially that poem, which you all should go and read again because it was so fucking impactful. That was a good one. And don't forget some other ways you can support the show. We have merch on our website. I'm hoping to do some new merch here in the next little bit. I have not had the energy to do it, but uh, we're going to make that happen (laughs) at some point. Watch for that. Listen, we're all people here. We're all humans. We do not have infinite energy. <laughs> There's only so many spoons in the world, and I think I may have left a lot of them behind months ago, so I'm out scavenging spoons now. They'll come back. We gotta take you to the spoon graveyard. <laughs> Scrounge up some dead spoons. Dig up some demon spoons. <laughs> Don't forget, we also offer shout-outs. You can promote your business. You can say happy birthday to a friend or share just about anything else with our transgender listeners. Just hit the shout with us li- shout out link, excuse me, on our website to learn more. <laughs> just click the shout with us. Yeah, shout just with click us. the shout with us. Just ah! click it. Somewhere on the internet, there's a button that says <laughs> shout with us. You'll find it. You'll find it. And thanks for listening. I've been Cam. We've been Anna and Lily. And this has been the Transgender. Love you all, except the bigots.